Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 319 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, oh, the pandemic, contagion. That's right. You heard me. This is going to be a terrific show with an amazing expert. Know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to smartypantsvitamins.com. Now, here's your first reminder to click on iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because I love your feedback. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about her. Raise your hand if you've just had it with this pandemic already. Now, come on now. Oh, my heavens. And there, you know, this is now a year, right, since uh, this whole thing really started. And people are just raising their hands in, they're exhausted, they're somewhat frustrated, there's just so much going on. But when was the last time you lived through a pandemic? Well, maybe the answer is never based upon your age. But one of the things that's really lacking here is is a historical context. And so that we could really say how well we did this last year. So, I mean, you know, how about that 1918 mess with the Spanish flu? That, there's another misnomer. Um, and and how do we really uh, fit into the whole paradigm of what goes on with um, plagues, pandemics, and all of that? So we have with us today Dr. Richard Gunderman. Now, he is the author of a brand new book. It's called Contagion. It's got a great cover. Contagion. Plagues, Pandemics, and Cures from the Black Death to COVID-19 and Beyond. Yeah, just when you thought this was going to end now. Uh, no. So, Dr. Gunderman is Chancellor's Professor of Radiology, Pediatrics, Medical Education, Philosophy, Liberal Arts, Philanthropy, and Medical Humanities at Indiana University. He's also the John A. Campbell Professor of Radiology. And in 2019, 2021, serves as Bicentennial Professor. Good heavens, you have a bio as long as my arm. Dr. Gunderman, welcome to the Herb Podcast. Thank you. It's a treat to be with you. All right. Why did you write the book? Well, I uh, got concerned. I heard the word unprecedented used so frequently with respect to, uh, you know, the pandemic uh, of COVID-19 that I thought we really needed uh, some historical perspective. There's a great uh, American philosopher named George Santayana who said, uh, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And so uh, I thought we ought to try to get some historical context. Well, give us some historical context then. Well, uh, you know, pandemics have been around at least as long as there have been human beings. 
and perhaps a good bit longer than that. We have some prehistoric um, signs that uh, people before recorded history suffered pandemics, and uh, certainly there have been many pandemics over the course of recorded history. One of the most famous ones uh, occurred among the ancient Greeks, where the uh, this is old history, but the Spartans and the Athenians were at war in the uh, 6th century BC, and uh, the Athenians withdrew within their city walls, and um, basically they became so overcrowded, people living almost on top of each other, that um, a plague broke out, and that uh, really hurt the Athenian cause, and they ended up losing the war. All right, so it's this has been going on for a long, long time. You know, it's interesting when when the pandemic um, uh, broke out. Uh, it was more than a year ago. Now that we know the more and more of the truth of when this really showed up in China for the first time, probably more like a year and a half. But um, I think a lot of people were just absolutely blown away thinking this is the end of life as we know it well uh <clears throat> and 1918 wasn't exactly a walk in the flipping park either give us a little context with 1918 well uh, you know i think you could make a pretty good case that that was even worse than the pandemic we're enduring now uh we think that perhaps as many as 500 million people were infected worldwide and that perhaps 50 million people died. Uh, and of course, 100 years ago, the population of the Earth was quite a bit lower than it is today. I think we're at about 125 million cases worldwide of COVID-19, with a bit over 2.5 million deaths. Now, I wouldn't want to minimize for a second, uh, you know, the, the disaster of 2.5 million people dead and, and many more infected. But, you know, the numbers are relatively small compared to what the world endured uh, between 1918 and 1920. Okay. And so, you know, again, it's all relative. And when you think about it, I've seen some of the pictures, as uh, obviously uh, many people have now, thanks to social media, real pictures from what took place then. Um, you know, people complained about, you know, having protective, you know, the PPE, um, the protective equipment on board. My God, the nurses were just, you know, walking around with little, you know, um, flimsy uh, masks and, you know, God knows what kind of uh, hygienic or lack thereof when you had these huge um, uh, wards with one person right next to the the other person. Uh, I don't know. And then and this was complicated further by a war. We were flipping at war, you know. And um, so talk about global transmission because of the war. Um, that's interesting. So okay, let's let's kind of flash forward here for a minute now. Then knowing that pandemics and plagues have been around for quite some time. How how did we do? You know, where have we gone right? Where have we gone wrong with with the current pandemic with COVID-19? Boy, that's a great question. I think one triumph we can all uh, really revel in is uh, the speed with which uh, the viral genome was sequenced. You know, we knew what its genetic material was like. 
And that made it possible to de- design vaccines, uh, you know, that people could be immunized with. And gosh, just, uh, you know, 12, 14 months since the first case in the United States, we're now immunizing about 2 million people a day. I think if if people had said that would happen a year ago, a lot of people would have uh, shaken their heads in disbelief. But here we are doing it. So that's certainly... Uh, one of the one of the brightest parts of the story, I think there were also some relatively dark parts. For example, almost exactly a year ago, you had public health authorities, uh, you know, on 60 Minutes and other television programs uh, saying that mask wearing really provided no benefit and uh, people didn't worry about masks. Now, of course, we we changed that story in pretty short order. But I think when we have sort of reversals of recommendations like that, it can undermine confidence. And, uh, you know, I think some people are more skeptical today about public health recommendations because they feel like they're changeable. All right. Now, what about um, all right. So there's a lot of misinformation, for instance. And what about the the school closures and the business closures? Yeah, well, you know, if we can keep people out of confined spaces, particularly poorly ventilated confined spaces, uh, you know, that should help reduce transmission. Uh, but, of course, the, the uh, threat posed by the disease varies a lot by age. So, you know, the majority of people who've died of COVID-19 have been elderly people and even people living in long-term care facilities. So it could be, I mean... One could argue either side of this question, but it could be that at least small children, uh, you know, being together, say, in preschool or elementary school, uh, doesn't pose such a big threat. It looks like a relatively small amount of the transmission has taken place there, and these younger people don't tend to get as sick as older folks. But, you know, on the other hand, we have to balance the, the public health risk, you know, the number of new infections and people needing to be hospitalized and so forth against, uh, you know, the educations of our children, people being able to earn a living at work. And so it's a very complicated subject. Certainly uh, biology, medicine, public health need uh, voices in the conversations, but we also need to be mindful of uh, the larger impact on people's lives. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, people used to just blow off things like, you know, washing your hands and, you know, making sure that if you sneezed, uh, you know, we people now know, obviously, you want to sneeze into your, into your elbow, um, but usually they do it right into their hand and then, you know, shake hands with somebody else or, or, or lift something up. You know, what's been fascinating is that there's now this, this very, very heightened awareness of hygiene. And um, so that's quite fascinating. And I see a lot of it sticking this isn't just like a, you know, a, a, a bling moment where one moment we're attentive to hygiene and then the next we're not. I think this is going to have a real lasting effect. Um, uh, and it, uh, that's just my, my general feeling. What's also fascinating is that what happened to the flu? The flu normally takes out about 65,000 people a year and nobody blinks. They're like, okay, you know, 65. I mean, that's a lot of people. 
Now, could we also have uh, less of that if we had more hygiene? Absolutely no question. What happened to the flu this go around? It is, I, I think it's the belief of epidemiologists and infectious disease people. There's a thing called viral interference. And we think that the COVID was just so powerful in its ability to be this infectious um, and and penetrate so deeply that it basically, you know, kicked our boy uh, influenza to the curb. It'll be interesting to see what happens after this um, as, as we tend to go forward. Let me ask you a question. How important is it that we know the absolute truth about where it came from? Yeah, I think that's a very important point. And obviously, people take very different views. You know, some people think it might have jumped from a non-human uh, mammal or, you know, bird species uh, into human beings, say, in a wet market in Wuhan, China. Other people are wondering whether it might have, uh, you know, escaped from a lab or something like that. I personally think it's pretty important that we try to get to the bottom of it. Because uh, if we can figure out the conditions where this occurred, you know, we could do our best worldwide to help reduce those conditions and maybe prevent the next pandemic. I'm just going to throw it out there and just let it go at that, I suppose, unless you have a thought. But I, I just think that our, our little, you know, pals in China have not been forthcoming um, the way they should have. Uh, and they've even admitted that the uh, cases started much, much earlier uh, than when we, you know, uh, started having conversations about this a year ago, say March or so, or back and forth. Um, and that has not helped in our ability to be able to get over there and investigate and get the absolute truth about where it came from. Look, if it, if it, you know, there was a mistake in the Wuhan lab and our State Department people were there uh, within the two years prior to the onset of all this. And and they they issued a report, which is quite public, stating that there were all kinds of, you know, problems with that lab in terms of, you know, security and the rest of it. Um, you know, if there was a mistake, that's okay. I mean, it's okay. Now we know where it came from. It's all right. You know, there's no reason to have to hide it. Just be truthful. Um, I, I just, I, I, I think I'm very frustrated. I'm, I have a, in addition to my medical degree, I also have a master's degree in epidemiology. And it, it makes me rip my hair out that people won't be truthful and be forthcoming about where this thing came from. Just tell the truth. Somebody out there, tell the truth. And let's get to the bottom of it. I'll tell you why. Because if there's more of that, you know, going on. I mean, and how many of the last pandemics have actually, you know, uh, come from China? A lot. H1N1, SARS-1. Um, I suppose I could go on. I mean, so come on, what's going on over there? Can we clean it up? Can we just get to the bottom of it? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, well, it's a matter of public record that uh, one young Chinese physician, actually an ophthalmologist, Li Wenli Yang, right. you know, went on social media and shared his concerns about what he thought was a new uh, coronavirus. And uh, according to public accounts, he was pulled aside and reprimanded for doing that. And while that was later retracted, he himself, uh, you know, falls victim to COVID-19 and, you know, might be regarded as, uh, say, one of the first COVID-19 martyrs. So 
there's no doubt that you know there have been efforts to suppress uh, the, the the publicization of uh, you know COVID nineteen, and as you indicated earlier, that's happened in other cases too. I mean, the reason uh, the the 1918 flu pandemic was called the Spanish flu was because it started during World War One. And uh, countries like the United States, Britain, France, Germany uh, didn't want their press covering this new pandemic because it might uh, embolden, you know, their enemies in the war, thinking that, uh, uh, say, the U.S. war effort would be hampered. But, of course, uh, uh, Spain was not a combatant, wasn't involved in the war, so its press covered the pandemic and pretty soon it became known as the Spanish flu. Although I don't think there's anybody who thinks it originated in Spain or hit Spain especially, especially hard. I know. And, and, you know, I'm sitting back thinking, you know, really honestly, you know, Richard, I think that I, I just wish to heaven that people would stop politicizing, you know, these, these, you know, global uh, medical issues, just, you know, can we just kick that, you know, politics to the curb? And can we just stick to, you know, very transparent, straightforward truth? Come on, let's get down to the truth already. Um, it's just so frustrating. It, it truly is. That being said, what's your feeling about um, the chance of us having another pandemic or two? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the course of human history, it's not a question of if, but when. You know, it's very likely that another virus, maybe it's an influenza virus, maybe it's a coronavirus, who knows. But at some point, our children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren are likely to find themselves combating a pandemic, too. These don't occur at regular intervals, but they do occur uh, pretty much throughout human history. And I, I don't see any reason to suppose this is going to be the last one. I think that one of the things that happen also um, in many countries, not all, um, and I'm going to go to Taiwan here for a second. Taiwan uh, learned its lesson with SARS-1. Uh, when that came across from China and they lost 100,000 people, they said, okay, we're not idiots. You know, fool me once, but then, you know, fool me twice, right? And so they had protective uh, equipment, all warehouse. They were ready to go for the next one. Um, they just felt in their, you know, in their bones that for sure there would be a next one. Well, go figure, right? So SARS-2 comes along and all they did was reach right into the warehouses. They also had set up an SOP, a standard operating procedure about how their people should deal with it. They clamped down they they did the social distancing they slapped on those masks they did it so fast and guess what they were one of the countries like south korea which had also had the same issue with sars one um and and both south korea and taiwan did incredibly well because stealthfully they just put in place all the stuff they've been prepared for look at us are you kidding? We didn't, apparently we didn't learn a damn thing with SARS-1. You know, there wasn't a single PPE out there that was, you know, warehoused enough to be able to help people on the front lines in big numbers. Um, how about those ventilators and how, you know, on and on and on. And so I hope to heaven 
that are, you know, that every country's leadership in Europe, uh, Asia here and others, you know, are now preparing for the next pandemic, are preparing to be able to help the frontliners and all the rest of it, because that's just plain silly um, that that people didn't have that. Let me let me switch gears here for a minute. People are now raising their hands going, okay, so we got these vaccines, but the vaccines don't, all they do is they reduce the uh, the severity of symptoms once you get you know, COVID, because COVID's fairly contagious and whatever. But um, now the question was, what about those variants? You know, we've heard about the Brazil variant, South Africa, uh, the UK, and the fact that by this month, well, basically this time of year, um, that uh, the UK variant, at the very least, probably all three of them, but the UK variant will become the dominant um, viral strain in the United States. So should people be saying to themselves, oh my gosh, what about those variants? Now I'm really afraid. Yeah, I think that's a concern. Uh, my understanding uh, among new cases, uh, roughly 20% are this uh, UK variant in California and perhaps as many as 30% in Florida. We know from the experience of the European countries that as that number goes up, you could very quickly find yourself in the midst of a surge. And, you know, as that spreads beyond the borders of those states and through the country, you know, by the end of this month or April, we may find ourselves uh, in, in another surge. Obviously, I hope that's not true, but uh, extrapolating from Europe, it could very well happen. Yeah, um, and then the question is, well, what good are the current vaccines? And what I've heard, maybe you've heard the same thing, is that um, with the two main vaccines out there now, the Pfizer and Moderna, um, it's a one-two shot. So basically you get two shots. You get a shot and then a booster. All right. Um, I've heard that some of the that Moderna and Pfizer are augmenting the boosters so that uh, they can uh, handle the variant um, uh, more effectively, whereas the Johnson & Johnson, which is not an, uh, an RNA um, uh, nanotechnology, instead, it, it's sort of old school, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know, attenuated virus is like, you know, my gosh, that's like so old. But um, it's it's very very good at reducing severity of the variants. So now we've got this interesting situation where what do we do with all these, you know, uh, vaccines that we've got floating around? Are we going to end up in a situation like the flu, where every single year there's another flu, you know, vaccine? Because sure to form, if you look at the influenza virus the wrong way, it mutates and basically confers you know, um, futility to what you just got last year. So what do you think? I think that's quite possible. I'm not predicting it, but, it, you know, you could foresee a scenario where on an annual basis we're getting vaccinated against another strain or maybe even combination of strains of coronavirus. Very possible. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, all right. So if we have all this, if, if the world has been smacked in the head um, with this uh, big reality check here uh, with what took place, with what transpired with this pandemic, 
How should we live our lives now? What what lessons what? can can we take out of this? Well, I think one lesson we need to learn is that uh, you might say pandemics can be very patient. So, uh, you know, if they occurred multiple times in a single generation, I think we'd stand a pretty good chance of not forgetting. But, you know, if they come around every two or three generations or even hundreds of uh, hundred years, uh, you know, our level of concern, maybe even our memory of them may fade over time. And uh, when the next one rolls around, we may find ourselves ill-prepared again. So I think somehow we need to preserve the memory of these pandemics and make sure we pass these lessons down from generation to generation. Oh, I love that. And I think that's really smart. I also think that, um, quite frankly, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the, the global pandemic collided with a global epidemic of obesity and, and uh, diabetes, basically, diabetes as well. And I just saw a numbers this morning that said 90% of the people who passed away um, with, uh, uh, with COVID outside of super frail people um, and very old people were obese. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so you have a pro-inflammatory state, which is what obesity confers, and oftentimes obesity will then also have comorbidities, meaning that you've got other disease entities going on with the obesity to include high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes. And this is just exactly the lowered level of immune strength that the COVID needs to be able to rock and roll and get in there and raise havoc. What do you think of that? Boy, I think that's a great point. I mean, people have been very puzzled that one of the richest nations on the earth, uh, the United States, seems to account for 20, 25% of worldwide deaths. We're obviously nowhere near 25% of the world's population. How can that be? And why have uh, continents like Africa uh, been relatively spared, you know, in, in the number of deaths? And I think one reason for that is probably some of the diseases of affluence you were referring to. Namely, we have such high rates of obesity, which, as you say, confers an increased risk for disorders like diabetes. So our population is basically uh, not as robust when it comes to withstanding the onslaught of a, you know, a virus like COVID-19. That's a great point. Yeah. And um, again, it's a lesson uh, to be learned, which is, um, you know, folks, when something like this kind of viral pandemic shows up at your front door, are you literally prepared? Are you prepared more than just having, you know, PPE around and in your masks and whatever? Are you literally physically prepared? Is your body some kind of a welcome mat, you know, to a major virus like this because you're not taking good care of yourself? I mean, um, maybe this is a wake-up call to a lot of people that to be able to survive, you have to take care of yourself. You got to be fit enough to be able to survive because I got news for you and I'll put money on it. This is not our first rodeo with a pandemic like this in our lifetime because we now have open borders. 
We now have people who have multiple levels of immunization or not immunization. We, we, you know, we fly in and out. I mean, remember what happened in Wuhan? They had um, the Chinese New Year. And people came from all over the world, you know, and they celebrated and they flew in and out of China. And oh my gosh, they're off you went. And what's that really all about? So, you know, at the end of the day, there are a lot of lessons here, hygiene lessons, taking, you know, in other words, washing your hands, things like that. You know, there's one other thing that's really neat here, um, Richard, and that is uh, most people have spent almost no time thinking about environmental ventilation. You know, it's so interesting. At the beginning of this whole thing, the safest place to be, quite frankly, was outdoors. <laughs> you know, just get outdoors. Um, and so when you go into buildings now, now you're saying to yourself, do they have a HEPA filter that is going to be able to grab all these, you know, particles? Is there adequate ventilation in the in the building? You know, it's basically looking at building health, as it were, I mean, like the actual, you know, architectural building of itself, health. Um, the health of the building, you know, confers health to us or lack thereof. What do you think of that? Boy, I think that's a great point. So on the one hand, you know, we should try to be physically fit, keep our weight under control, uh, eat a wholesome diet and so forth. And on the other hand, as, as you said, I think... Uh, very creatively, we need to think about the health of the environments in which we live. And being in tightly enclosed, uh, poorly ventilated spaces is clearly a risk factor for, uh, you know, the transmission of, of COVID-19. So uh, hopefully this opens our eyes and uh, gets us paying attention to some things that I think we've become relatively complacent about. And I, I hope we take that lesson seriously and make some modifications. You know, as we as we uh, bring this to a close, I mean, the book was just rich. I love it, love it, love it. You know, you you have uh, some very important takeaways, and one is all about what is COVID nineteen really taught us about infectious disease. And I want everyone out there to listen up because it's a really important lesson here. Yeah, I think one important lesson is that the world is full of viruses and bacteria, and happily, most of them don't take much interest in us, and we probably don't need to worry about them. But, you know, as we encroach on the habitats of other species, uh, birds, bats, uh, uh, pigs, and so forth, as we force them into tighter and tighter spaces, uh, you know, they the, the, the risk of transmission of viruses and bacteria in their populations goes up. And as we come into closer and closer contact with them, the risk of uh, one of those viruses, let's say, making the jump from them to us goes up. So we probably need to think, you know, about the health of our buildings and, and ventilation and so forth. But we probably also need to think about the health of our ecosystems and try to make sure that we're not creating ecological conditions that are basically going to increase the probability of pandemics in the future. What do you think of wet markets? Well, they don't seem like a very good idea. <laughs> so, you know, it's good to see the wet market in, in Wuhan closed. And, uh, you know, I suspect that's a lesson 
uh, other countries could learn from too. Although we have to bear in mind, you know, there are people whose whose livelihoods, whose whose abilities to feed their families may depend on wet markets. So if we're going to try to close wet markets down, we certainly need to think about the you know economic and and uh, livelihood consequences for other people and hopefully develop uh, alternatives for them. You know, I, I almost feel like I'm having a, you know, one of those Greta moments about the climate, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> speaking of our little Swedish friend. Um, you know, I, I think this, as a final lesson, I, I think this should really compel us to take a moment and just think about what in the heck we're doing with our entire, you said it beautifully, ecosystem within which we live. That means the animals, that means the plants, that means the climate, everything. Because, you know, this, this whole issue of global pandemics doesn't happen in a vacuum. Let's think about what we're doing to render our own environment so dangerous that it becomes, you know, a petri dish for developing these kinds of um, microbes that get out of control. I, I just think that that's a such an important lesson. Um, how do you feel? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we have bacteria in our intestines that make vitamin K. We need to live. We can't make uh, beer or bread without, you know, fungi, which we commonly call yeasts. Uh, you know, in many cases, these microorganisms are very important to us. And uh, I don't think we could just regard them as enemies. We need to see how they fit into the larger ecosystem with the birds and the bats and so forth, and uh, be thinking about ways we can coexist peacefully, rather than uh, posing a greater and greater threat to one another's existence. I'm so glad that I had you on for this interview uh, because it, this is such an important discussion. Everyone out there should be listening to this. This isn't some one-off pandemic and get this mother over with and move on and, and just go back to where we were. No, this is a golden opportunity to think about where we are now, how we got here with this big mess, and how we can proceed forward in a better way and really start doing some cleaning up here. We already cleaned up our hands. You know, we're already like washing hands like it's going out of style. So how about we wash up our environment? How about we wash up, you know, our ecosystem? How, how about we just sort of, you know, really prioritize those, um, uh, I love to call good microbes, uh, friends with benefits, um, you know, and then the the ones that are more harmful, let's let the good guys take care of them. You know, it's a beautiful balance out there in nature. So why don't we create a better environment that will foster that? So I just love this conversation because, um, you know, uh, at the end of the day, if you don't know history, if you don't know that this kind of thing most definitely occurs, has occurred since the beginning of time, and it's not going to stop after this this COVID crisis is you know much more contained, um, there's going to be more. So the question is, are we prepared? 
Are we doing what we can to clean things up? And are we learning? You know, it goes back to that Albert Einstein quote, you know, in the midst of difficulty lies opportunity. You know, let's find those damn opportunities. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. Now, one last um, uh, quote. Give everyone a nugget, a little golden nugget that they could take with them, a little bit of wisdom about uh, what comes out of this fantastic book. Well, thank you very much. How about we make it a twofer? One would be those who don't learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them. And the other would be we should never let a crisis go to waste. And I hope we're learning the lessons of this crisis. I love it. Oh, my gosh, that's just absolutely excellent. So, everyone, we've been talking with Dr. Richard Gunderman, and he wrote a book that I just found amazing. It's a gorgeous book. Um, it's easy to read, and it's something that you should definitely have a look at if you're going to learn anything from this entire experience with the COVID-19 pandemic. So the title of the book is Contagion, Plagues, Pandemics, and Cures from the Black Death to COVID-19 and Beyond. Because, honey, if you think this is the end of it, forget about it. Not happening. And everyone out there, take a moment right now to hit iTunes, rate and review the show because I'm sitting here waiting to hear from you, and I am Dr. Pam Peak, host of the Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peak or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peak MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Hey, listen, thanks for listening today. Stay safe and stay well.